This is the Action Network Podcast. And it is good! All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch! They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown! You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible! Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. And what up, what up? Welcome to another edition of the Action Network Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am your host, Chris Raybon, here, as always, with Sean Kerner. Today, we're going to be talking about the late-round quarterbacks, the quarterbacks outside the top 12. Be sure to check out our uh, top 12 quarterback episode with none other than Evan Silva. And today, to talk about these late-round quarterbacks, we have a very, very special guest, a man that I have admired in the industry for a long time. Um, He's provided me with some great advice. We've taken uh, shots of Hennessy, I think it was, together down south. But it's Jeff Ratcliffe of FTNFantasy.com, Sirius XM, and CBS Sports. Jeff, uh, glad to see you. Uh, Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? It was Jameson. Oh, it was definitely yes. Jameson. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, those are my honey drinking days. So, you know, I, I was like, I, I knew it was something dark. <laughs> but yeah, everything's good, my man. I'm excited. It's crazy. July is the fastest month in the calendar year every single year. And now we're staring at training camp, which means we're basically staring at fantasy football draft season. It feels official, you know, as we record this, the, uh, the NBA finals just ended. Shouts to the Milwaukee Bucks for messing up my Phoenix Suns future. But uh, I'm glad to see Giannis get one. But um, I just want to get right into this, the, these quarterbacks. So, um, you know, Sean, everything good with you before we before we get right into yeah. this? How's, how's everything going, man? Everything is good. I'm glad basketball is over, so we get 100% NFL Raybon back. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, I'll know the difference between the AFC North and the AFC Central this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the lack of the AFC Central. Uh, all right, all right, Jeff. I, I want to get your before we jump into like you know quarterback by quarterback, which is what we're gonna do and, and talk about all these guys. Uh, just a general question for you: uh, like, what's your overall strategy? Um, for, for at quarterback in fantasy this season, um, are you going to be a late round guy? Uh, I know Silva came on the show and he kind of talked about how uh, last year it kind of felt a little more like the middle round, you know, not the true late round guys, but the middle round guys were the guys who really made a difference like Josh Allen. So, so how are you approaching the position uh, in 2021? Well, I'm certainly not drafting quarterbacks early. And unfortunately, people just aren't going to learn their lesson on this one. Last year, uh, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're wearing masks in grocery stores. And I run into somebody who I know, a friend of a friend knows what I do for a living. And he's all excited to tell me about his draft. He goes, yeah, I had Christian McCaffrey in the first round. And the second round, I took Lamar Jackson. And I was like, Oh, uh, I'm sorry. And he, he, I, <laughs> you would have felt like I, it was a kid who I told Santa Claus wasn't real. And I was like, ah, oh, but you know, at least you got McCaffrey. And that didn't obviously pan out that well for him either. But you know, every year we see it every year, whether it's statistical regression, which is what Lamar was fine last year. Lamar had a good year. He rushed for over a thousand yards yet again. He just had Uh, an exceedingly high touchdown rate the year before. So he comes back to the pack. Uh, Mahomes banged up. You know, we've seen this with other quarterbacks over the years. When you're drafting at a onesie position, if you're in a one quarterback league, there's just too much equity you're placing in that position if you're drafting early. 
So it's just not worth it. So not an early round guy. And honestly, I come up with draft grades for round grades for quarterbacks. You know, for example, I have Russell Wilson as a six round guy, but I'm not willing to draft him in the sixth round. I want to get two rounds of value on those guys because every year there's one player who's going to slip down the board at quarterback. It may not be two rounds, but if Russ is there in the eighth round, I'm willing to pounce. Or if one of those guys in the top 10 is in there in the eighth round, seventh round, two rounds later than I have them, then I am willing to pounce. I will tell you this year, it will not be Justin Jefferson. Everybody loves Justin Jefferson. He's going to go two rounds too early this year because everybody loves him. But generally speaking, yes, a late round guy. I try to search for that ultimate bang for your buck. There are a couple candidates that we're going to get into later today. Sometimes occasionally too, if the risk is really risky, like Daniel Jones last year, I drafted him in the late rounds, but I would also draft Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, something like that, where if I fell flat on my face with the upside guy, at least I have the safe guy to get me by while I try and work the wire and find the next Ryan Tannehill, find the next Justin Herbert, because those guys exist on the wire every year as well. Yeah, and that's, that's very, really well put. And I actually have a follow up on this. Um, and, and Sean, since, you know, we already heard, they already heard our kind of takes on the, the overall um, approach. Uh, I want you to kind of follow up on this too, but I'm going to ask Jeff first. And it's okay to get to this point where this podcast is valuable, where we're talking about, you know, the quarterbacks outside the top 12. Um, you know, a lot of listeners, a lot of people who follow us, they, 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 they look at our rankings religiously and they take them in and they draft off them. Um, how do we kind of, I guess, fully, like, what do we do about this situation? Because I think Jeff, you, you said a good point. Like, I have Russell Wilson with a sixth round grade, but I wouldn't draft him in a sixth round. Um, like, is that, should we be ranking these guys lower in our overall ranks? So, like, how do we kind of explain to people um, the right way to kind of go about that if maybe they aren't listening to like um, necessarily like, uh, you know, hour or two of podcast a week, uh, you know, when we're kind of saying, hey, I have a guy ranked there, but I wouldn't actually draft him there. Like, can you just kind of elaborate on that? Um, and just like kind of what, sh- what, what can we do to kind of make this a little clearer? Because I've always struggled with that, too, of like d- just because I have a guy ranked here doesn't mean I draft him there. So um, just kind of some more thoughts on, on that before we jump in. Yeah, I think even the precursor to what you're saying here is something that I've noted numerous times over the years for beginner level drafters and even intermediate level drafters. The things that they focus on the most are the first, second, third round. And I will tell you this flat out right now, everybody drafts well in the first, second and third round. Everybody, even the people who don't pay attention and just show up and just draft that day. They draft well in the first, second, and third round. You have to be completely oblivious to screw up the first, second, third round. Where you make your bones in fantasy is in the middle rounds. And that's where drafts fall apart. And I can guarantee that for most people, the reason why it falls apart is because they are drafting based on rankings and not based on a draft board or a set of tiers or something to that effect. So I think here is a great uh, example of where, where we could actually use tiers to our advantage, Chris. Because, you know, why are we ranking these guys overall where we are? A lot of people will ask, well, why don't you just rank them lower? Well, I'm ranking based on value-based calculations, right? Uh, Value over replacement. And that's why I slot them in where I do. However, I'm not willing to take a player at that position in that range. So I will have my, uh, my tiers, obviously, 
Okay, I could say I'll take Patrick Mahomes in the fourth round. He ain't going to be there. Josh Allen in the fifth round, not going to be there. Kyler Murray in the fifth round, not going to be there. So those elite guys are off the board for me. Dak is off the board. Lamar's off the board. The top five are going to go well before I'm willing to draft them. But that next tier has some really interesting players. And as I mentioned, okay, well, maybe it's Russ. Maybe it's not going to be Herbert. Maybe it's Rodgers. Maybe people are still concerned about Rodgers if he, if he does, in fact, show up to camp, which we'll find out soon on that one. Uh, maybe it's Jalen Hurts, who a lot of people do have as a top 10 guy, but there are a lot of questions about him as well. One of those guys might fall, and that's where I have my tears come into play. Like I know I'm willing to break the seal on quarterback in that round seven, eight, or nine range if I'm getting good value. Otherwise, I'm just going to wait until round 10. So the number one takeaway here, if you're just uh, if you're just drafting based solely on rankings, you're kind of missing the, the boat a little bit. Rankings are very binary. And Sean, you know, Chris, you know, from doing rankings over the years, there's a lot of times where it's like, well, I would put like four of these guys at rank yeah. 25 if I could, but I have to put one at 25, one at 26, one at 27, one at 28. But there's really no difference between these guys. The difference is so granular that it now comes down to a matter of personal preference or if you're looking for upside or whatever it might be, a higher ceiling, whatever it might be. That's exactly true. And, and Sean, any uh, thoughts on that? Just how, how people kind of, you know, going off of what Jeff said, how they navigate that, you know, when they see your rankings and, and, and it's just like you may not actually take the guy there because I know you're big on tiers as well. Yeah, I'm big on tiers and quarterbacks. I go in every draft with just an overall plan um, where if one of these top six guys fall to me and I like my team, sure, I'll take a flyer. But when it comes to quarterback, especially if we're talking about one quarterback leagues, you have sort of a built-in high floor and that's called the waiver wire. I do my streaming article every week. I've been able to stream anything between the QB six to the QB 10. So just always remember that you have a safety net. It's the waiver wire. And yeah, you might have to start off streaming Derek Carr or Sam Darnold, whoever has a good matchup early in the season. But typically you end up on a Justin Herbert or a Jalen Hurts. A lot of my leagues, I ended up with one of those two guys. Um, so you, you have a built-in high floor, a safety net, if you will, um, with the waiver wire. Now, when it comes to leagues where you have to draft two quarterbacks or it's super flex league, you know, I value quarterback a lot more because you only have 32 guys every week that can provide value. So in a super flex or two, BQ, two, B, two QB league, you're drafting quarterback early. So it depends on the format. Yeah. And you can apply these, you know, uh, strategies, even to two QB leagues. It's like what I like to do a lot of times, I'm not necessarily drafting like a, a Mahomes. I'll wait till like, you know, 10, 11, 12 quarterbacks are off the board. And a lot of times I'll target, you know, guys in that like 12 to, to, to 20 range, you know, try to get to what you would call late round quarterbacks in a one QB league and just be early on the second one. So um, there's a lot of things you can do, but I, I do want to start, I, I want to get into these quarterbacks. So let's start with uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, Jeff. Uh, Matthew Stafford has, uh, you know, Sean McVay now. So he goes from, uh, just kind of going through the motions in Detroit. He had some great, he had Calvin Johnson over the years, but just never seemed to come together. Now he's got Sean McVay, an offensive wizard. Uh, he's got a pretty decent supporting cast. Of course, it took a hit with the Cam Akers uh, injury, but uh, that they, they could just throw more now. Um, does Stafford have enough to be a pretty consistent low-end QB1, Jeff? I think the number one thing people need to remember is Jared Goff threw for 4,600 yards twice in a Sean McVay offense. And Matthew Stafford has the ability to make big boy throws that, that Goff didn't. Now I think Goff's a serviceable starting quarterback. I, I don't think there's, I'm not trying to knock him or bury him, 
But we're talking about different degrees of player here. We're talking about Stafford. Like I said, he's going to push the ball vertically if asked to do so. He's going to make the pinpoint short and intermediate throws. And really the most important thing we saw, you know, you, you just had to read Sean McVay's face. He couldn't open up his playbook with Jared Goff. It was disappointing and ultimately it led to that divorce. But now he's going to be able to open up that playbook more. And you mentioned uh, the supporting cast, of course, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, give you two of the you know better wide receiver two types that you're going to have out there. Tyler Higby expecting to take a little bit of a step forward here. Uh, we're not going to Jacob Harris this thing, all right, everybody, all the deep dynasty people, like he's he's an immediate elite tight end. Now he's a convert. He would even struggle a little bit at, at the learning curve at wide receiver, which is what he played at the college level. But he has the athleticism, the size, the speed that you cannot teach. So that's a good thing uh, working his favor. Some people have asked me a little bit about Tutu Atwell. He is severely undersized. I, I look at him as a sort of like a slightly poor man's Tavon Austin in a lot of ways. So I don't know if he's going to make much of a year one impact, but if Deshaun Jackson could stay healthy for even like three games, that could be potentially explosive as well. Cause that dude is just as fast as he's ever been. So I really like Stafford. The problem with Stafford though, is I think a lot of people are going to like him by that point. And I don't know if he's going to be around in the late rounds. I think there's enough juice there that people are going to go after him in the middle round range. Yeah. And I should say, and I think I'm going to do this for, for every quarterback that we kind of talk about here. Um, I, I do want to mention uh, the schedule to start the year because these are late round guys that you may end up streaming. And so I do think that, you know, that comes into play. Um, Sean, I guess I'll, I'll go to you. What uh, he's the Rams begin the season at home against Chicago. Then it's at Indianapolis, pretty tough defense and home against Tampa Bay. So given that context, I guess it really comes down to, do you think Stafford will be in your top 12 for week one? Oh yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a tough start. He probably won't be in my top 12, um, but he's certainly, you know, he's my QB 12 for the season, but that underscores my point is he's sort of on that fringe where um, you're better off just punting at quarterback really, because um, you know, based on the matchups each week, you know, he might not be in the top 12. Um, so I'm probably passing on him at ADP, but I, I, th I think he does elevate this offense. And Jeff alluded to that earlier where, you know, that they, they, you could read the tea leaves. They added Deshaun Jackson. They drafted Tutu Atwell. They're obviously going to add a vertical element to this offense. I mean, just looking at last season's stats, um, you know, they ranked 24th in pass attempts, 20 plus yards or more. They ranked 30th in pass attempts in the red zone. And those numbers are even worse when you, you know, factor in that they ranked 12th in pass attempts overall. And that clearly had to do with McVay just not trusting Goff. So, you know, I expect them to air it out a bit more, throw deep and throw more in the red zone. So Stafford's going to benefit from that cup woods. Everybody's going to benefit from that. And it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this acre situation. If they add a guy like Duke Johnson over an Adrian Peterson, that'll help Goff out even more. Um, so yeah, they need to up. <laughs> For the oh yeah, I mean <laughs> Sean McVay would be like uh, throwing yeah, up right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, so I mean he he elevates the entire offense. Um, unfortunately, he's not a guy I'm targeting at ADP because it is pretty high at QB twelve. Yeah, Jeff, just real quick, um, like what do you think of that? You know, first like Chicago, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay. Like, is that enough? Given that they may throw more to 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 to, to have you kind of use a pick on him in that range, or or is that a, a schedule you're kind of staying away from? I don't really invest very heavily in schedule when it comes to quarterback uh, in terms of making my draft day decisions, but more like what Sean said, 
if he goes too early, then he, I'm just priced, I'm priced out as it is. So really it's kind of irrelevant at that point. Um, I do want to mention though, McVeigh has already come out and been quite vocal about not adding a veteran. So Xavier Jones, get to know the name. Ho, Xavier Jones, get to know the name because he's probably going to have a little bit of an impact along with Jake Funk. Although Jake Funk had 71 touches last year for Maryland. That's it. He's like Mike Boone 2.0, a workout warrior landing on the radar. But I I don't know. I mean, I agree. Duke Johnson makes more sense. They're not going to bring in somebody who would actually kind of, they have Daryl Henderson. He's more than serviceable as an early down guy. So everybody talking about Peterson uh, unlikely. And I love the report that came out like Todd Gurley is like, nope, non-starter. Nope, not going to do it. Not going to happen. I know this is quarterback though. So, but you know, obviously the biggest news here, unfortunately, right before camp. All right, let's move on to uh, Trevor Lawrence. He's in Jacksonville, the number one overall pick. Uh, Jeff, what do we expect from Lawrence in year one under Urban Meyer? Meyer obviously, um, you know, do, does want to run the ball. We, we, we know that he, he has Carlos Hyde in that backfield with, with Robinson and ETN, uh, who they drafted early. So um, what do you see as like the, the, the ceiling or an outlook for Lawrence in year one? I don't think we can count out a Justin Herbert like year one from him. It's certainly there uh, and it's not impossible, especially for a player of his caliber. The thing that that is so appealing about Lawrence, not only he looks the part, he's a modern quarterback, so he's mobile. He's not a stiff back there, got the size, but it's really the the elite level processing speed that he comes in with. This is going to be a guy who will avoid a few extra sacks. So he's going to give himself a little bit of extra uh, time there in the process. And then he steps right in and has a pretty solid receiver group. I mean, everybody loves LaVisca Chanel. DJ Chark gives you what he does in the, as that vertical threat. And then you have a really strong veteran red zone presence in Marvin Jones, along with some depth there. Colin Johnson, I think, is a, a pretty solid depth piece in that offense. No tight end to speak of, really, but you had mentioned ETN. If they are really going to stick to that, which to me, it's it's really odd to draft ETN in the first round when you could have had Kenny Gainwell in the fifth round as a pass catching back. To me, it's, it's odd, but I, you know, I don't know how to read Urban Meyer just yet, how much he's going to you know, be transparent uh, in Zoom interviews and at the podium, et cetera. But regardless, ETN could be a big factor as well. So I, I do like Lawrence taking a shot on his upside if the price is right. But, you know, Sean and Chris, you know as well as I do, every year – Rookies tend to go a little higher than maybe they should. Not every rookie, but in home league drafts, I could see somebody stepping up because they know who Trevor Lawrence is and taking him maybe at quarterback 12, quarterback 13. And I'm right now, I have him at quarterback 14, which is on ADP, but I don't know if he'll be there in every draft. Yeah, Sean, what do you think of, uh, of Lawrence? Yeah, I, I'm a bit concerned with this Urban Meyer. We, we don't really know how this offense will look. Um, certainly, he'll probably want to establish the run, but you know they're going to have enough negative game scripts where I don't know if that's going to be possible. Plus, that I, I think we're going to get the maximum rushing upside out, out of Trevor Lawrence in this offense, which is great for fantasy. But Jeff already mentioned, I, I do love the wide receivers. I'm a bit concerned of the lack of tight end, especially if they're planning on using Tim Tebow in some sort of Taysom Hill role. That's going to be annoying. Um, it'd be nice if they were to get like a Zach Ertz or something, then I'd feel a lot better about Lawrence at ADP. But again, in this range, I am, you know, more willing to take a bet on upside. So I, I don't mind taking Lawrence at QB 14. You know, he's 
one of the best quarterbacks we've seen enter the league since Andrew Luck. So, you know, you're betting on talent. You can never go wrong with that. Um, but yeah, he's a bit pricey right now at QB 14. So he would, he'd have to fall, you know, QB 15 or 16 for me to think about him. But, you know, in this range, I think he's, he's worth it given his upside. Yeah, I don't mind Lawrence here. And the reason is I, I actually do look at schedule a little more um, for these, the, not for everyone, but this specific type of player, which is a quarterback that even if you draft them, you may just be using them for one or two weeks um, because um, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Like you're hoping you hit on a guy that sticks, but you, to, to get to stick, you want a guy that's going to kind of start hot. And uh, Lawrence does start with uh, at Houston. Denver's a really tough one in, in week two, but then Arizona, Cincinnati, Tennessee, um, four out of those five weeks, if you just had kind of the average NFL quarterback, you would probably start them against four of those five defenses. So this is a, a, a spot where Trevor Lawrence, you know, week one, he could get off to a hot start at Houston um, and, and kind of keep it rolling. So I, I do like taking a gamble with him uh, on the upside, especially if he's going outside the top 12. So um, I, I, I am hopeful that Lawrence can get some things going. Um, let's move on to Matt Ryan. Jeff, uh, what do we make of Ryan without his longtime, you know, number one receiver in Julio Jones? Um, but at the same time, not everything was bad, you know, for Matt Ryan. Like, yes, he lost Julio. That's never great. But he did get Arthur Smith, who um, really kind of turned around Ryan Tannehill's career and made him into just an efficient beast, especially in the red zone. And you also get Kyle Pitts, one of the best tight end prospects that we've seen in a long time. So I guess how, does all the, how, how do all these things offset? And, and where do you have Ryan heading into 2021? I actually have him right at this spot in ADP. Uh, there's, we have to be careful with Arthur Smith. Cause you know, if you just say, okay, well, he's coming from Tennessee, he ran the ball a lot. Yeah, of course he did. He had Derrick Henry. What, what are you, if you didn't do that, which is what they did earlier in Henry's career, it was a bit foolish and it didn't work. So yeah, of course he ran the ball a lot. He now has Mike Davis. That's a big drop off. Mike Davis doesn't even have a, a four yard per carry average over the course of his career. Sure. The fantasy crowd is going to look back and say, what about the fantasy numbers, bro? He wasn't really that good for Carolina either. He certainly was put into a tough spot and he did a serviceable job, but really where is his best assets? Probably in a passing game, not in the run game. We could see a little bit of Quadri Olison. By the way, people looking at JV and Hawkins, JV and Hawkins is Tariq Cohen. He's like a poor man's Tariq Cohen. His nickname was even PlayStation. Tariq Cohen's was the human joystick at the college level. They're very similar type players. So I could only see him contributing in that area, area if he is on the roster, which he's far from guaranteed to make. So I do see a lot of pass in this game. And the nice thing, yes, Julio's out, but the torch was kind of passed last year anyway. The games where Julio was sidelined, Calvin Ridley was like an automatic double-digit target guy. I know he didn't have it every single game, but the games he didn't, would he have like nine targets in those games, right? So you have that, and you mentioned Kyle Pitts, who rookie tight ends, yes. Uh, ordinarily, we have a rookie tight end come in and we say, all right, pump the brakes. It's going to take a little bit of time. Give it till at least year three. Then we'll officially judge whether or not he's a success or failure. But I think Kyle Pitts is going to buck that trend and step right into the number two role because otherwise it's Russell Gage. And I know like people are going to like hate tweet me over this. Like if you have Russell Gage in your dynasty leagues, we know what Russell Gage is. He's a slot receiver. He's a low upside slot receiver who can do a little bit on the outside, but do we really expect him to just take over 90% of Julio shares? No. 
those shares are largely going to go to Pitts and Ridley will take the rest and he's going to be a target monster. So I actually don't mind Matt Ryan, relatively high floor guy. The thing about Matt Ryan, though, is I don't think he's the type of quarterback who you win a fantasy championship with. So he could be a tied me over, you know, as Sean just alluded to earlier, you're working that waiver wire and then you land on somebody like Jalen Hurts at the end of the season. Well, Matt Ryan can certainly get you to that point. He probably won't win you many games, but he won't lose you many. You'll keep pace at the position. Yeah, Matt Ryan, I think without Julio, that's the big difference. Because Matt Ryan actually, you know, last year he was, what, the quarterback 12? But he had snuck in a couple of those, like, top five seasons over the past few years. Um, but that, of course, was with Julio. Uh, I do think I – I remember watching Ryan last year and just thinking to myself, like, this dude's downfall is that he throws to Russell Gage like Russell Gage is Julio Jones. So, like, I, I, I really <laughs> hope that Kyle Pitts can step – and I think he will – but, you know, we have like even a George Kittle, you know, in year one, it was like it was good. It was above average, but it wasn't, you know, a thousand yards. So I think, you know, that we do have to kind of worry a little bit, um, you know, with if, if Gage is going to see that much work. But uh, Sean, what do you think of, uh, of Matty Ice? Yeah, I think, you know, Arthur Smith, um, I think one of the things that he'll help Matt Ryan with, he'll probably dial up more play action. Um, you know, back in his 2016 MVP season, he led the league in play action at 28 uh, percent. But the last two seasons, he f- he's finished outside the top 20. So I think that's where Arthur Smith might help. Um, we could see more 12 personnel. I think, you know, they could use Kyle Pitts more as a receiver and they still have Hayden Hurst. I still think Hayden Hurst is a pretty good tight end. So I, I think the loss of Julio hurts. But, you know, Kyle Pitts will help mitigate that a bit. Um, but I view Matt Ryan as a good like two two QB league, uh, super flex formats. Like you kind of do value a high floor quarterback in that slot. Um, whereas, you know, a single QB league, um, you know, I already mentioned, I, I prefer to take upside or play the waiver wire. So I'm passing on him and, you know, more traditional formats, but certainly super flex leagues. Uh, Matt Ryan's a great high floor pick. And, and Jeff, before we move on from Ryan, cause I, I think uh, I'm interested in, in you guys' take on this as well. Um, we had, we've seen a pattern with Matt Ryan. In years past first year with Kyle Shanahan uh, 21 touchdowns 16 interceptions very disappointing season uh, just about 15 fantasy points a game the next year year two in the system 38 touchdowns just seven picks about 22 fantasy points a game then uh, you know Sarkeesian comes in it happens again 20 touchdowns 12 picks about 14 fantasy points a game year two 35 touchdowns seven picks 20 uh, about 22 fantasy points per game. So is this, is this going to, is Matt Ryan at this point, or is this just the kind of guy Jeff that, um, you know, even though there's no pandemic this year, because there was no pandemic back then either. Like, is this, should we be scared that Matt Ryan may take a year even in this new system? Well, he was pretty stable the last two years, 18.7, 18.6. So I don't, I don't know. I I, I don't think that it's going to, you know, at this point, I I don't think he's going to have a dramatic fall off because of a system, but it may be because of the talent. Like if Kyle Pitts is not able to, and you mentioned a thousand yards, that's only been done once by a tight end, a rookie tight end in NFL history. Dicka baby, Dicka, 1961. But even 800 yards, like that's lofty for a rookie tight end. Remember TJ Hawkinson, a top 10 pick, amazing in week one, and then really not much else from there on out. And yes, he ended the season on injured reserve, but still it's tough. It's really, really tough. But the thing that Pitts does have to his advantage 
is he is essentially he can play a wide receiver-esque role out there. He's just a complete mismatch. So I don't think, you know, I wouldn't expect a major drop-off from last year's numbers. In fact, you know, I'm just taking a peek at my projections. I mean, they're really similar to last year's numbers. Obviously, you add the extra game in, but generally speaking, I have just a slightest uptick in uh, fantasy points per game, but not enough to really move the needle from where he was last year. Uh, Sean, and does that factor in for you at all? Like the, uh, you know, Matt Ryan's previous full starts in, in, new, in new systems? Um, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I forgot to mention that when it comes over, like, the Ryan Tannehill comparisons in this offense, I mean, Matt Ryan offers zero rushing upside, so we're not yeah. going to see those goal line design runs with him. So it, it's not apples to apples. So that's why I think we'll probably just see the typical Matt Ryan. I don't expect too much difference one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I am a little bit worried, and and I and this is coming from somebody I have a lot of respect for Arthur Smith. I even wrote a whole you know piece on him last year about how like not not enough people knew his name considering what the Titans were doing. Um, but remember those last two years, uh, w- you know when he was stable, that was Dirk Cutter who had been his coordinator before. Um, so we really don't know like we really don't know if that like kind of affected him. So I think there's. I would say there's like a wider range of outcomes. I'll put it that way this year for Ryan. Like he may have one of those really disgusting seasons. Like, like we've seen a couple of times, he could still have that, that, that huge season. You know, we know he's capable of that. The Falcons defense shouldn't be very good. Um, But I think there's a wider range uh, of outcomes with, with Matt Ryan starts the year against Philadelphia. Um, So, you know, you could probably live with it for at least uh, a week. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Well, let's move on to uh, Baker Mayfield. Jeff, uh, Mayfield finished at QB 16 last year. He's going at QB 16 in the fantasy pros consensus. I thought he made a lot, a big step forward last year, but now he gets an improved defense. You know, within that system, they don't necessarily throw a ton if they don't have to. Uh, So how do you see uh, Baker kind of, his, his numbers kind of shaking out? Yeah, you're right. I am a little bit lower in terms of passing attempts on him. Uh, I, I actually had once viewed him as a, a late round upside guy, and now I'm kind of viewing him as more of a late round higher floor safe guy who doesn't necessarily have that high ceiling. I will say this, and do me a favor if you're listening to this right now, don't turn this off as I'm talking, okay? 
Odell Beckham. Oh, don't turn it off. I told you don't turn it off. He gets Odell Beckham back. And here's what we know. And I know the detractors are going to say, Odell Beckham has stunk with the Browns. Look at Baker's numbers. They were better without him last year. Okay, what are we using to base this on? We're using a season of Freddie Kitchens. Look yourself in the mirror and say that you're doing that logically. We're using a season of Freddie Kitchens and seven weeks in a COVID year with a new head coach. I don't think we can base anything on any of that. And I don't think that it was Odell Beckham off the field that caused the team to suddenly gel and turn around. It was the fact that they basically got out of what was essentially the preseason in the NFL last year. So getting Beckham back, if Beckham is healthy, I think we're finally at a point where now they can unleash that tandem in addition to what else they have in that offense, of course, you know, they have Jarvis Landry, who is your steady Eddie over the middle in the short and intermediate. You have about 25 viable tight ends on that team last <laughs> I checked. Uh, and then the run game plus Kareem Hunt out of the backfield and the occasional nice Nick Chubb reception. Nick Chubb better catching passes than we let on to be, him to be. Uh, I, I think overall a really good situation, but you're right. In the wrong game scripts, there's going to be some bad weeks for fantasy purposes because they're going to get out to a lead, and it's going to be Chubb and Hunt all day long. And as you mentioned, the defense is pretty solid as well, so they're probably going to hold serve. So you do have to keep that in mind with Baker Mayfield if you're going to draft him. Yeah, I think that's it really comes down to the game scripts because I, I do agree. I think the supporting cast is there. It's, it's silly to trash Beckham. Like, obviously, Beckham is not what he once was. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to take – you know, like double digit touchdown guy, just taking things to the house like he was for Eli, but still uh, an above average receiver. Uh, Sean, uh, the Browns, you know, as Jeff mentioned, game scripts are going to be a thing. Uh, They start at KC and then they play Houston, who you would figure a different kind of game script, but just a weak defense. Uh, And then Chicago at Minnesota at the Chargers. Um, Does Baker kind of fit into your quarterback plan uh, if you're waiting on QB, Sean? Uh, certainly for two QB or super flex leagues, uh, Jeff already mentioned it, but I, I do consider him, you know, a high floor quarterback. I don't think he has top 10 upside because of all the reasons we mentioned, you know, they, they have a great offensive line, great running game, pro- arguably the best in the NFL and an improved defense. So that, that hurts his upside. We'll, we'll probably know which weeks he will go off though, because of that. Um, but we saw Kevin Stefanski let Baker, you know, air it out uh, the final six games last year, and he put up QB8 numbers. So we do know he has that upside. Uh, but he had a lot of bad luck last year. You know, Odell Beckham missed nine games. There were a couple home games where they had like 30 plus mile an hour wins. I had to like lower his passing yard projection by like 50 yards. Yeah. Um, and then week 16, the COVID game where literally all of his wide receivers were out. So, you know, he had a few games just wiped out his fancy value. So, Hopefully he'll see better luck this year. Um, he's, a, he's a good bet to play all 17 games. He doesn't scramble much. Like we can bank on his health, I feel. Um, so I view him as a high, high floor uh, QB that you can take later on in two QB super flex formats. All right, let's go to uh, Deshaun Watson. Now, uh, last time I looked at the odds for, for Watson, Jeff, uh, they weren't very good of him starting for the Texans this year. What do you make of this guy? Is he in your plans at all? Is this a guy you're just not touching? Is this a guy that should be on the waiver wire until we know more? Like, how are you approaching Watson, who obviously has that top five upside when he's on the field, but, but we just have no idea what's going on with him right now? So I've seen him drafted in a bunch of industry drafts, but the nice thing is by the time uh, fantasy draft season rolls around, we're in the heart of it in the mid-August, late August, 
we're going to know because the scenario is going to play out right in front of us. If he gets an indication that he's going to be placed on commissioner's exempt, and if you're on commissioner's exempt, you get paid. So it would be smart for him to show up, report to camp. He would immediately be placed on commissioner's exempt, and then he'd start collecting paychecks. If that does not happen, he has made his intentions extremely clear. He will never play for the Texans ever again. So it is in their best interest to then try and get whatever they can for him. There are some destinations we've heard, Philadelphia, Denver, Miami, a lot of teams still could be interested. Now, I know the response from people might be, well, what about a suspension? A suspension will very likely happen if he's not placed on commissioner's exempt. However, it will not happen until 2022 because the NFL lets the legal proceedings play out. Watson will not be deposed until after the Super Bowl. So all of 2021 could play out and he could in theory be on a team. Now the challenge here is you're not trading for uh, a, a player at really almost any other position. You're trading for the most important position, the player who needs to know the offense ASAP. And I don't know how that happens that quickly. So I guess, you know, you, you know, to answer the question here, he's not in my plans. I don't think he's going to play this year, but I've been wrong about these things in the past. And as we know in the NFL, anything can certainly happen. The one thing I do know, though, it's not going to be with the Texans. It'll be with somebody else if he does, in fact, play this season. But I think the likelihood of commissioner is exempt is pretty strong. Of course, we're going to have to wait about a week to find that out. Yeah, and I think, Sean, on the last pod, I asked you, you know, your odds of Watson finishing as a top 12 QB, and you put it at 15 to 20%. So I guess kind of flipping this question around, what are the odds of him going on commissioner's exempt? Uh, is it like somewhere in the 80 to 85% range for you? Yeah, I think that has to be pretty high. But at the end of the day, I mean, who the hell knows? Um, his ADP here is QB 17. That's probably – a little bit too rich for me. I think that, you know, it's all about how much risk you're willing to take on and what format you're in. Uh, but there's so much uncertainty here. Uh, he definitely shouldn't be on the waiver wire. Like he should be on someone's bench. You know, he's a top five QB that you could stash and just wait and see or best ball formats. You can get him as your QB three late in the draft where typically you don't expect much from those players anyway. Um, so it, when it comes to him, it's just the price has to be right for you with uncertainty, your morals. If you want to take a guy like that, like, um, it, it's a personal choice, but at QB 17, I'm probably passing. Jeff, I, I got it. And I'll, Sean, I'll ask you this after, but I, here's a question for you. You have Aaron Rod, you, you, you're in an industry league or a high stakes league. Maybe you're in a, just a high stakes best ball league right now. There, there's something on the line. Even if you're drafting right now, Jeff, mm-hmm. what's your choice? You either you have to take one of these two on your team, either Aaron Rodgers at QB eight or Deshaun Watson at QB 17. Which one you taking? Rodgers. I don't see a scenario where he sits out even. And, you know, the, the whole like Adam Schefter thing yesterday, that was kind of weird because that was two months old. That news that like they offered him the contract and he didn't want it. Yeah. It was a very weird scenario, even with people at ESPN calling that out, like Tony Kornheiser calling that out from Schefter. That's so odd. But, you know, I digress. Uh, I think there's there's no way they trade the reigning MVP. I, I, the You know, they're going to have a shareholders meeting in five days, which we know they're, 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 their whole organization is very different than pretty much any other NFL organization where it's a lot of the community members who are shareholders. 
So they're going to have to answer to those folks. But I, I think there's really one option for Rodgers. I mean, yes, he could hold out. I don't see that as viable. He could retire. But do we really think he's going to retire? I think he's going to play. It'll be a Shaq and Kobe situation for this year. And then eventually they're going to, at the end of the season, before free agency, trade him away, get their picks, and then Rodgers will be, I don't know, in Denver or wherever he ends up. So, yeah, Rodgers for me. I think he's playing this year. John? Rodgers, but I wouldn't like it, but you're forcing me. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. play, they just don't fit my draft plans because I, I like taking the uncertainty of a rookie having a really good year other than, you know, it, as opposed to this Rodgers situation or the Watson situation. It's just too much uncertainty that I don't like. Hey, you know what's funny, guys? Last year, the cliche was, if you were hosting a podcast, was, guys, can you believe you like the pandemic? And then you say some cliche that has to do with something ridiculous that happened because of the pandemic. But this is non-pandemic related. But what are the chances we would be sitting here? Aaron Rodgers was a QB2 last year. Deshaun Watson was a QB5. And we're sitting here as draft season approaches. Like, yeah, none of these guys are in my draft plan, really. Like, you know, like that's, that's kind of nuts, man. Uh, in regards to the question, I would probably go Watson because I just feel like I can, I can live with a zero at that QB17 pick. Like at where he's going. Whereas, like, Jeff, as you mentioned – that 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 like middle tier QB eight, you're still like that's like prime uh, position to make or break your draft, and, and, and I really don't want to have Rodgers make or breaking my draft. Is, is I guess what? So so that's the only reason I choose Watson, and, and I'd eat it if, if I had to. I, I could I felt like I feel like I could at that spot. Um, let's go to a, another guy who Jeff really surprised last year. Um, didn't quite you know do, do what Rodgers and, and Watson did because who can? But for a guy that doesn't really run much, a guy who only had one rushing touchdown and, and 156 yards rushing, Kirk Cousins had a pretty good year. Finished as the QB 11, 35 touchdowns, 13 picks. Uh, you mentioned you're not as high on Justin Jefferson as probably the, the industry. Does that kind of translate to Kirk Cousins? Well, I think, I, I think I'm actually like on par with everybody in terms of Justin Jefferson. Uh, he is – coming off of the greatest, arguably the greatest statistical rookie season of any wide receiver in NFL history. Um, by the way, just a, just a remember, reminder, in 2019, he was the second best receiver on his college team. Of course, the best receiver now is going to play for the Cincinnati Bengals. But um, I, I think it was a little bit of an outlier year, though. When you look at it, 35 passing scores, you know, Adam Thielen was off the charts in terms of efficiency. So I think we see a little bit of statistical regression. And just a reminder to everybody, even the people in the cheap seats, regression does not mean get worse. It is not the opposite of progress. It means move to the average, okay? That's all we're trying to say with this. I think Kirk Cousins, generally speaking, probably doesn't get enough credit for how solid he's been over the course of his career. But I think also that's sort of the best way of describing him, solid. I don't think last year was repeatable as a top 12 guy. I have him at 16, though, and I'm perfectly fine grabbing Kirk Cousins in what is definitely going to be more of a run-heavy offense, but as a guy who has a relatively high floor, and he, you know, she showed he can catch fire for little stretches. He's done it in each of the last two years here where he's had nice little runs of, you know, several weeks in a row of top 10 performances. Sean, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Cousins? Is 16, uh, do you have him higher or lower than, than 16 where Jeff has him? I think it depends on format. We've been saying that, but like I have him QB 17. Um, he's much more valuable in a two QB super flex 
head-to-head season-long format where you know exactly what you're going to get each week. We, we talk about all the time where, you know, you only have to beat one opponent. So having a stable second quarterback helps you out. Whereas, you know, best ball, you're not going to get those spiked weeks that you really need. So I fade him in best ball. Um, but, you know, he's in a, you know, run-heavy offense, but he has great pass catchers. So, you know, he has a very high weekly floor, uh, but he doesn't offer any rushing upside. So, you know, very limited ceiling. He's probably going to play all 17 games. Again, this helps you out in season-long formats where you're starting to quarterback. So I, I, I consider him like a really good pick in a 2QB format. Yeah, good pick in 2QB format. And, and I'd argue one of the better, like if you're just waiting and punting the position, one of the better guys to kind of pick up early season as well. Minnesota starts at Cincinnati, at Arizona, and then home for Seattle. So three games, I think. Where, yeah, it's, it's a pretty decent schedule because you got the road game. So it's not just like, okay, you get up big and you, you take the air out of the ball. I feel like on the road, it's a little shootouts are a little more probable um, for a team that may not otherwise have them. So I like Cousins as kind of a, a punt, you know, late round quarterbacks, early season streamer pick. Let's go on to Justin Fields. Now he's, uh, you know, obviously we're using a fantasy pros consensus ADP. ADPs are going to differ by site, but the bottom line is people are taking – Justin Fields is pretty seriously um, considering where we are now in the offseason, Jeff. Um, what are your thoughts on Fields? How many games do you think he's going to start? Do you think he's worth taking at this ADP 19 consensus, given that we don't know that fact as of now? I, I think that's a huge factor here. And also, I think there's probably a lot of people who watched the college football semifinal game against Clemson and were like, this is the guy. That was the best game of his career. There's no doubt about it. He was a monster in that game. He made some big boy throws. He took a big hit. He was running all over the field. He showed the versatility to be a modern quarterback in the NFL and the skill set to be a strong fantasy option. Unfortunately, his head coach is Matt Nagy, who has made it abundantly clear that Andy Dalton will be the starter in week one. And there are some coaches who say that and you're like, yeah, all right, we'll see. Nope. Matt Nagy is 100% on this one. It's going to be Andy Dalton. So why would you, you know, first and foremost against the Rams, why would you start Justin Fields in that game? So I think a viable over under, I don't know what you think about this, Sean week six and a half, because you know, if they're going to start Andy Dalton in week one, you're probably going to lose that game. Okay. You give him week two Bengals. Maybe that's a winnable game. All right. Back to the Browns. Oh, that feels like a loss. Then you get the lions. That's a winnable game. If you get out of, of the first month of the season, I was going to say September, but technically I guess it's October 3rd is the week four. If you get out of that two and two, you're probably still sticking with Andy Dalton for the Raiders game and maybe for the Packers game. But after that, after week six, they have this stretch into their bye. The Buccaneers, the 49ers, and the Steelers. Steelers may have some trouble along that offensive line, but the defense is still pretty potent, especially in terms of the pass rush. So – if he's not in there before that point, it could be after the bye before we finally see him. Now, I don't think that happens. I actually think week five is when he takes over, but there is that risk. And there's always that risk. And he's not a top five quarterback where there's the extreme pressure to get him on the field. Now he's a top, he's, he's 11, he was pick 11, but they don't have that same pressure. Also, let's note that Fields early in his career, this will be good for fantasy. It'll kind of be like how Josh Allen was early in his career. He's going to have to lean on his, his physical talents because the game is going to be too fast for him. His coach in college has even noted this saying, you know, he still has some developing to do. 
So it's something that we're going to have to note there, but I, I just don't think it's worth the price point for a guy who's probably not going to be a week one starter and may not start until October. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that the schedule itself is, is, it kind of wends itself to somewhere in that week four to six range. I actually had week um, four scheduled against Detroit because I don't think Andy Dalton's winning that, you know, revenge game against Cincinnati. I think they start 0-3 and, and they give Fields the easy week four start against the Lions. Like, because when you look down the line, yeah, it, it gets tougher and tougher. Um, um, Sean, what, what are your thoughts on, on Justin Fields? Yeah, I'm with you, um, you know, about week four is when I have him taking over I think you know the fact that we have a preseason this year may help like if he looks really good Mm -hmm. it's gonna be hard to keep him on the bench Um, whereas last year you can kind of hide your rookies a little bit more I'm a bit worried that you know Matt Nagy was on the Chiefs when they decided to sit Patrick Mahomes out for pretty much the entire rookie season behind Alex Smith I'm hoping that doesn't happen here because that was that was that was ownership that was coming from upstairs that wasn't like I I think Matt Nagy probably more than anyone knew that if they have Patrick Mahomes that's a better yeah he was there when it happened hopefully you know (laughs) even though Alex Smith was really good that year hopefully he he doesn't you know use that as a blueprint but yeah I think you know Fields is too good not to start um, and, you know, Jeff mentioned it, but um, rookie quarterbacks who, you know, are dual threat quarterbacks, they can kind of overcome their inefficiencies when it comes to passing and put up QB1 value. So I'm very interested in him as like a, you know, a bench stash where maybe you punt at quarterback and you, you plan on streaming to start the season. Draft Justin Fields to sit on your bench. Um, actually, I would probably prefer stashing Trey Lance. I think he probably has a higher ceiling and is in a better system. But I think either rookie quarterback, like based on the rushing ability, it makes sense to stash them just based on their upside. Yeah, and Jeff, I actually want to just stay on Lance um, because I think Fields and Lance are the natural comparisons. Both guys can move around. Um, both guys, we don't have a, a hard um, number of starts that we can project at this point. So where are you on Fields? Versus Lance, who in some uh, ADPs, I'm seeing Lance going a few spots lower. Uh, how do you, where do you come in on, on that kind of the value of, of each of those guys compared to each other? You know, it's weird. I actually have it reversed. Uh, this ADP has Fields at 19 and then Lance at 23. Mm-hmm. I, I have Lance at 18 in my rankings right now and then Fields at 23. I think Lance starts in week one. And I know that may be very bullish and I'm not trying to be hot take because I, I try to be the furthest thing from that. I'm not trying to get your clicks or anything like that. I just think the writing is on the wall for this. You have uh, the, the team making a power move up the board because they were stuck with basically the same quarterback that Kyle Shanahan's been stuck with for pretty much his entire career going back to the last time he had any sort of upside was probably RG3. And unfortunately, that didn't end very well. But, but Lance is not RG3. He may be able to run and, and RG3 was able to run. But Lance turns into almost a running back when he runs. It is, it's kind of crazy. They may have to reel some of that in. You can't lower the shoulder on uh, defenders all the time. But then he has the ability to make big boy throws. And the thing that really clinched it for the team, they've come out and said it, is the fact that his football IQ is through the roof. Now, yes, he played at North Dakota State. But basically there, as we know from Carson Wentz, That's a pro-style offense, so he already has a leg up there. Yes, maybe playing against a lower level of competition, but I always say about those, you know, uh, FCS guys, Division II guys, even Division III guys, 
if they're playing at that level, they better utterly dominate the competition. And that's what he did in 2019. He didn't throw a single interception in 2019, utterly dominated the competition. And we don't know what, what last year would have been like. Yes, he played one game, but whatever, we're going to toss that out because they didn't play, unfortunately. So a lot of people may not know him like they know Justin Fields. But for fantasy purposes, in that offense with those weapons, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, the run game with, oh, Trey Sermon, not Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon, maybe even a little Eli Mitchell for you there, Matt Breda 2.0. You know, it's just so exciting. Plus all the cons, the run concepts. I think there's just an absolute enormous ceiling. And honestly, while I think uh, Trevor Lawrence is the better football prospect, for fantasy purposes, Trey Lance's ability to run closes the gap for me, and I don't think there's that big, uh, that sizable a gap between the two. Like you mentioned, Chris, the only uncertainty, though, is he going to be the week one starter? I think he is. My over-under for him, just to show you how bullish I am, I have it at two and a half. Week two and a half is where Ooh. I think that over-under is. My take's a little more complex on this, Jeff. I think that Trey Lance is clearly the better quarterback. I think he's clearly the better dynasty prospect. I think he has the better supporting cast of the two. I'm reluctant to rank him ahead of fields for season long because now I'm just looking at the path to start. And while I do think that Jimmy G, you know, long-term is a guy that's probably not in their plans, I just think that he's a guy, he's still a guy that went 22 and eight regular season, 24 and nine overall. He's a guy that unlike Goff with with McVay, for example, like Shanahan acquired Jimmy G, like McVay inherited Goff. So it's a little different. So I just think that when you're talking about Andy Dalton in front of you with, with with a tough schedule versus like Jimmy G, a guy who's won games with a team that has a defense, injuries are really hard to predict. So like I have it more at like week six, um, because I think Jimmy G is more likely to miss games than most quarterbacks. But if Jimmy G were to stay healthy, like let's say he doesn't get hurt, I actually do think there's a good chance that Jimmy G starts all the games and they actually treat it more like a Mahomes situation where then they just look to offload Jimmy G next year. I, I think I think that's how they would approach it. It's not like it's not this is not this is more of like just kind of a feel situation. This is not I don't have any inside sources. So Sean, I'll let you kind of break the the tie here, like where are you on, you know, how the Niners are kind of thinking about approaching Trey Lance? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. I, I think, you know, field is probably more likely to start earlier in the season, but that's, you know, th- that's uncertainty that we don't really know. I think when they are both starting, I rather have Lance. That's mm-hmm. why I'm leaning towards him at his ADP. I mean, if you just, if you were to do a creative player in Madden for like the ultimate fancy football player, it'd probably look a lot like Trey Lance. I mean, Great running ability, cannon for an arm. And I already mentioned just Kyle Shanahan was able to make Nick Mullins like a QB2 for a a good period of time. And, you know, Jimmy G, he's led the league in yards after the catch percentage um, over the past two seasons. Like this system does help out the quarterback. And whereas Lance is going to help out the system as well. So, you know, we have the situation where I think he has legit QB1 upside. We don't know when that's going to be, but Raybon, you mentioned it. You're really just drafting the usable games. Yeah. We'll know when to use him. He'll be starting. He'll be a starting quarterback. We'll know when to play him. And, you know, the, the 49ers have the easiest strength of schedule this year. And I think we talk about it with like Lamar Jackson, like he does better when they're playing ahead. And I think Lance will be that type of quarterback. So I think the easy soft schedule is going to help him out even more. So I think, you know, I think we see him sooner than later. I think we see him before the, the week six, but I think it is a week five. Um, but yeah, like you said, there, there is enough uncertainty where if you have pause in him and you prefer fields, 
you know, you can go, I can go either way on that, but I, I prefer Lance when they're both starting. Yeah. Like I hope Lance starts sooner. I just, I just don't know that that's the most likely, more likely than, than Theo's just cause like Andy Dalton is just, I can't see this dude lasting. I don't even know if he makes it through camp to be honest. Uh, let's move on to, to Carson Wentz, Jeff. Is he broken? Did Doug Peterson break him? Did this that horrible supporting cast? And when I say horrible in Philly, I mean at the tail end when you had no receivers, when, when you made Travis Fogum look like, you know, Randy Moss because you had nobody else and, and Zach Ertz couldn't run or stay healthy. Um, or, or, or I guess, and does, does Wentz now coming back, you know, to, to Frank Reich, does he now inherit some of that, you know, Andrew Luck, Upside when, when Luck threw all those passes that year and just, you know, stopped running, but just really became a, a great passer, a even better passer. Um, or is his upside kind of more in that Philip Rivers range? Like where, what do you, what, what, what do I do with wins? I wouldn't give him luck territory for sure, but maybe Rivers plus something along those lines. We can't really discount the impact of the offensive line. We don't know what the impact of drafting Jalen Hurts ultimately was on Carson Wentz. I know we could spin narratives all day long, but the offensive line is, is a very easy area to look at that was a huge problem for the Philadelphia Eagles. They were decimated even entering the season, and it just continued to get worse throughout the season. And by the midpoint of the year, you saw, you know, as you mentioned, a completely broken quarterback who couldn't even identify open receivers because he looked like he was scared he was going to get hit, you know, and he took one too, too many hits for sure early in the year. I don't think we're beyond the point of no return, though. The one thing that I would say, you know, if if we're comparing him to somebody who we're going to talk about in a minute, Ben Roethlisberger, the physical decline is concerning. We haven't seen the physical decline from Carson Wentz. That last year, I think was was really purely mental. I don't, you know, his arm strength really wasn't a problem. He had he had all those games where he, you know, remember the John Hightower? He'd have like four targets and have 280 air yards or whatever it was like the arm strength wasn't an issue. It was definitely the nine inch space between his ears. That was the issue. And Frank Reich, him, him and Frank Reich there, it's been well-documented. They got along very well. Uh, that was the, the big year for him. And let's not forget he was not the MVP that year. Tom Brady was still the MVP, regardless of what Carson did. But Carson Wentz was in the discussion. He was like a top five player overall that season before getting hurt and Nick Foles cementing his legacy and the lore of Philadelphia. Uh, but I, I think he's fine. I don't like the risk. I do like the, the surrounding cast. I think Michael Pittman's really going to take a step forward. Chris Ballard has gone out of his way to highlight Michael Pittman heading into this year. If Paris Campbell could finally stay healthy, that could be really nice. You have a veteran presence in T.Y. Hilton. You have arguably the best offensive line out there, close to the best offensive line if you don't have him as the number one. You have tight ends, which we know historically Carson Wentz has loved to throw the football to. And then you have Naeem Hines, along with Jonathan Taylor, is a decent enough catch, uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. It all sets up well for Wentz. I do like your call out, though. I do hope he hangs around a little bit more because in Philly, I felt there were far, far too many times where he looked to run. And I hope he goes through his progressions and really works it. But he could be successful enough. I don't think he's completely shot, but I also don't think that he has like top 12 upside. I think he's kind of perfect right where he's going, and I think that's about where he's going to wind up. Yeah, I think it was really mental with him. And, and, and that, that, I mean, that's concerning in his own right because, like, we've seen 
like if you're an elite quarterback, like we've seen those guys survive without as the physical declines, like, you know, Drew Brees, um, you know, even Roethlisberger, I, mean, I think he's physically declining. I don't think, I think if his arm was the way it should have been last year, that offense wouldn't have run the way it did. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of guys that can survive with that. It's harder to survive the mental issues um, unless you correct them really fast. So um, I do think Wright can, and I do like the compare and comparing um, Wentz to Roethlisberger. Cause again, I think some of these choices are really going to come down to, especially if you're not in a two QB league, they're going to come down to what you're going to do with these guys right off the bat. Um, Wentz starts the year with two home games, Seattle and the Rams. Now the Rams, obviously not ideal, but um, you know, and then, you know, at Tennessee in week three, Pittsburgh starts at Buffalo. So if you get through that, you have Vegas, then you have Cincinnati. So, um, I, but I don't like that, st- that week one, like starting a guy like Ben at Buffalo, um, so I'd probably still lean Wentz home versus Seattle just for that reason. And then I'd go from there. If Wentz still looks broken, you know, I'll drop him after week one or something like that. Um, no biggie. But but Sean, where are you on this um, Wentz versus Roethlisberger um, comparison? Ooh, that's a tough. I, I think Wentz offers the most upside, um, but there's no denying how bad he was last year. I mean, he led the league in picks and sacks despite only playing 12 games. I mean, he was benched for the yeah. final four. So, I mean, he was really bad. A lot of the blame can be placed on the Eagles offensive line being decimated, lack of, you know, pass catchers, but he held on the ball too long. I mean, he, he uh, had a 2.91 second um, time to throw in the pocket. So, you know, maybe if he got rid of it quicker, it'd been a little bit better. He will have an elite offensive line to play behind. So that's going to help him out a ton. Jeff already mentioned he has a ton of pass catchers. I do like. Um, so he he could bounce back. I, I'm a bit lukewarm at ADP. I think it, it's about right. QB 20. If he falls, you know, to 22 or 24, sure, I'll take a flyer. But, you know, he has that QB 1-2 fringe upside that we've seen. So he's he's worth a flyer there. Whereas Big Ben, I think he's just more of a high floor guy. I don't think he really has top 10 upside anymore. Um, but, you know, Wentz, this is the part in the draft where if you want to take a gamble, Sure, take him at 80, uh, ADP 20. Probably won't be me doing it, but I can't blame everybody that does. All right, let's, let's move on to a guy that's high risk. It feels at least high risk, high reward. Um, probably more than it should have given his kind of pedigree, but Tua Tungavailoa, not quite as good as he probably should have been last year, but Jeff, he's got Jalen Waddle. He's got Will Fuller, Hope you know, after, what is it, week one? So, He's he's got he's got some weapons. He's in year two of the system. Um, can Tua be a a, a, a consistent QB one, or is is he kind of destined to be this low end QB two? You know, I think the answer is we don't know. And, and I and I I know that you know a lot of people may not want that answer, but here's what we do know: he was coming off a devastating injury that obviously ended his college career and was one of the big talking points at the combine. Uh, last year, you know, we were out there in Indianapolis and that was what people were talking about. You know, how's the hip? How's the hip? How's the hip? He manages to get through the injury, get on the field and was in a weird situation, obviously with Ryan Fitzpatrick playing pretty good football, Fitzpatrick, a a class act, even giving him reps uh, in practice, giving the rookies reps so that they could get out there because he kind of knew his place and then goes out and plays, but he played in, really the worst year for rookies in NFL history in terms of getting acclimated to the NFL, which is already a hard enough process. I mean, there's a reason why rookie minicamp is right after the draft. It takes that long for these guys to get up to speed. And even then some of these players, it takes yet the the whole year to really get fully up to speed. So 
We don't quite know. What we do know is Tua was very impressive at the college level. Now, I know the detractors are going to say that he played with a bunch of all-stars, and sure, he did, but you could stink with a bunch of all-stars. I think we overlooked that fact as well. He's got a little bit of extra mobility that I don't think people realize that he has as well. He had that, he showed that last year. So I am looking for him to take a step forward this year. I don't know about long-term QB one upside this year. I'd be really surprised if he finished top 12, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finished top 20 and I am willing to take a stab on him in the later rounds as an upside guy because of that surrounding cast. Cause you know, in addition to those guys, Devonte Parker, who gives you, you kind of have like a quasi Houston setup here. Devonte Parker, somewhat of a similar skill set to Deandre Hopkins, like a poor man's Deandre Hopkins. He's not a burner, but he can play above the rim, short and intermediate, all of that and be your, your ex will fuller to stretch the field. Jalen Waddle with the familiarity to go all over the place in that offense. Mike Kosicki, who's basically your fourth wide receiver because he's not a tight end. And then a, a pretty interesting uh, running back out of the backfield in Miles Gaskin, as long as he can hold up. It's not a bad setup for him at all to produce. So I'd take a stab on him, but, you know, we just at this point don't quite know what he's going to be. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the thing with, with Tua. He's one of the harder guys to get a read on. Um, Sean, can, can you help us out at all? What, what's your kind of read on, on Tua? Sorry, can't help you out here. I'm in the same boat. Um, I think certainly his ADP at QB22, why not take the risk? I think he's worth it. I know I'm less concerned about Jacoby Brissett than you, Raybon, but I I think that we can bank on him, you know, playing an entire game and not getting subbed halfway like last year. Um, But, you know, how can you not like him uh, with the surrounding talent? I mean, this is a make or break year. If he can't really step up in year two with these weapons, then, you know, I'm ready to move on from him. But as Jeff mentioned, you know, he was coming off the hip injury, um, you know, very limited offseason, no preseason. So I'm taking a little bit easy on Tua, but this year he definitely has to step up. Um, but yeah, QB 22, you're not taking on that much risk by taking him. So I can definitely get behind it. Yeah, I'm. here's where I am on Tua. I don't like him at, at ADP. And I, I actually would put the, his... In the first five weeks of the season, I would put his chances of getting benched uh, in, a, in, a, in like how many games he gets benched at, at 1.5. And the reason is Miami starts the year at New England, Buffalo, at Vegas. That's, that's, that's a great matchup. But then Indianapolis and at Tampa Bay. Those are four of the five best defenses in the league. And he's starting the year in Jacoby Brissett. It's just waiting there, you know, like, and that, that's a, to me, that's a perfect replacement for Ryan Fitzpatrick, like another veteran who you can bring in, who can, even if the team is struggling, throwing the ball, can make a few things happen with his legs. Like there's just a lot that could go wrong for as much as could go right with Tua because of his talent, because of the supporting cast. There's a lot that could go wrong for fantasy owners in the first five weeks. Now week six Jacksonville, week seven, Atlanta, Buffalo again, but then Houston in week nine, then Baltimore, then the Jets, then Carolina, then the Jets. So Tua has, he can finish the year very strong, but for me, he's not a guy I draft. He's a guy that I trade for probably after either week two, when he, after he plays New England and Buffalo and, and get him for Vegas and see from there, or maybe after week five, heading into week six at Jacksonville, Atlanta, that stretch. Like I just, he's a mid season on quarterback for me. He's not a start the year guy. I think he can hurt your rosters. 
um, if, if you draft him, um, you know, to, 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 with the intention of starting him early. I, I think it could it could get ugly. Yeah, could I could I uh, take some action on that under one and a half? Under okay, yeah, games? yeah. Right. I think. It, do you, you think it's a fair line though? Do you, do you or do you think it should be 0. 0.5? No, you said one point five. No, no, I, no. I'm, I, no, I'm giving you the action. I'm just wondering from your perspective. Would oh you yeah, make no, it? Point, uh, you, you make good points, but yeah, one and a half. That's too good to pass up. Hundred dollars, okay. any charity you want. I get under one and a half. Okay, week yeah. five. Jacoby Brissett coming in for goal line package does not count, right? That's fair. No, that's fair. No, no. I mean, Jacoby Brissett has to throw a pass, not on the goal. Oh, not okay. like, yeah. But like, he has to play the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, he has to actually come in for the purposes of like not kneeling okay. and, and, yeah, to pass. All right. I'll to, take under one and a half. Okay. Um, there we go. Get some side action going. Uh, Jeff, you want any, you want in on that or you, you stay, you stay in Pat? Uh, I'll, I'll stay put, but I do think that the signing of Brissett is a great indication that Tua has an extremely long leash. Really? I, See, I, that, I, why though? Don't you don't, you don't think you don't view Brissett in that same, like top of the t- top tier, like backup that you look at Fitzpatrick in? Well, Fitzpatrick I view as a starter. So no, I wouldn't put those guys in the same tier. Fitzy was good enough to play out last year, but the challenge, and I, I think going back to Trey Lance, if you draft a quarterback that high, you got to get that kid on the field. Trey Lance drafted at three. They're going to get him on the field very quickly. And then also Matt Nagy, remember, Matt Nagy stubbornly stuck to his guns on David Montgomery no matter what. And don't get me last year when he faced – Four of the worst six defense, run defenses in the league and the Packers twice over the final six weeks of the year with nobody else on the roster. So he played every single freaking snap. Matt Nagy sticks to his gun. So, yeah, I think Tua at this point now, you know, the show is his. And I don't know. I don't I don't see much percent out there at all. Interesting. All right. We'll see how it goes. I just I kind of see the last year starting this or beginning of the years kind of starting more of the same um, as last year. Um, but we will see. Uh, let's move on to a couple more guys I want to get to. One, I think is interesting. I'm higher on this guy than a lot of people. Um, and that's Zach Wilson. So, Jeff, I want to get your take on him. My take on Zach Wilson is, and it's more of a, a value proposition thing. It's like there are quarterbacks going above him, rookie quarterbacks going above him that um, we don't know how much they're going to start. Uh, Zach Wilson's going where he's – could essentially almost be free in a two QB league. He's going at QB 28. Um, I just think he has a, a, a really high ceiling given that the Jets could be a bad team. It could be throwing a lot. He does have decent weapons on the outside. He can make all the throws. Now he's not going to give you much running the ball, obviously. And that's, you know, that's, that is what it is. That's why he's not a sexy pick, but I just think 28, like I'm not like, there's almost no downside for me there. Um, whereas if I'm taking a guy, especially in a two QB league or when I have a better streaming option, like a little earlier, um, I, I just feel like there's more downside there. So talk me in or out of Zach Wilson, because I'm really high in him at, at, at QB 28. Well, he is going to give you running the football. He's extremely mobile. He was awesome last year at BYU. Uh, the kid will, you know, he'll score touchdowns as a runner. He'll run. He's he's not afraid to do that whatsoever and certainly athletic enough to do that. Now, you mentioned two-quarterback league. I think that's really important. And, and a lot of people, when they ask me, well, when should I draft a quarterback? And they want me to say round one, round two, round three. But, Chris, I'm like you. I actually say after 10 quarterbacks are drafted. So mm-hmm. you said 12, I say 10, same thing. I want to get yeah. two in between 10 and 20, basically. And yeah. that means if you're drafting right now, 
in a two quarterback league or a super flex league in your home leagues, make note of this people take stock of how many quarterbacks are drafted. It sounds so simple, but so many people get so focused on just what they're doing that they neglect to see what their opponents are doing. Right. So pay attention. Once those 10 are off the board, it might be round three, might be round four when you're up and 10 are off the board or 12 are off the board might be round five. I can't tell you, but then attack it, grab two in between 10 and 20 or 12 and 20. If you subscribe to Chris's idea, either way, I'm good with it. The next inflection point for me is 24. When 24 are off the board, I want to get the third quarterback. We don't want to be left. I, I had this happen to me one too many times back in the day where all the starters were gone and there were no upside rookies left. And I just took a backup to take a backup and it never works out. Zach Wilson is like the target for me. It is my third quarterback in two yes. quarterback leagues. Okay. Okay. We're on the I, same page then. Cause yeah, exactly. Well now, said. In a one quarterback league, not going to be looking at him. He's going too late. He's a streamer. But the nice thing is he has a long leash. It could take a little bit of time here just in general for the Jets to gel. They have some pieces along the offensive line that are interesting. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, Makai Becton. Uh, they obviously have some intriguing talent at wide receiver, though I want to know how are you going to get Elijah Moore on the field when you have Jamison Crowder there? So do they try and move Jamison Crowder? We'll see. You have, uh, you know, uh, some interesting talent, Corey Davis coming over, Denzel Mims there, the unicorn, if he ever hits, Chris Herndon, and then, of course, a very capable Austin Eckler clone out of the backfield in uh, Michael Carter. It's an interesting situation, but it could be very bumpy, the ride along the way. Some people out there want to be lazy and say, Patrick Mahomes, that don't let's not. No, we're not comping players to Patrick Mahomes right now. They better be darn generational to, to comp to him. But he can make uh, off-platform throws, big boy throws that a lot of quarterbacks can't make. And I think that's where people are going with the Mahomes. Or sometimes people will say he can make throws like Rodgers makes. Rodgers can make throws that ordinary, extraordinary, any other human being can't make. Uh, and Wilson showed that. But it's easier to do that at BYU against that competition than it is against NFL caliber players week in and week out. Also, he is a one-year wonder. So we have a couple question mm -hmm. marks. But Raybon, like you said, though, for the price, the upside that you're getting, and the extremely long runway, like he doesn't even have a backup, really. There's nobody there. There is no – James Morgan, really? <laughs> That's our backup. He's going to play the entire year. So it's, it's a good spot to take him. Yeah, and to be clear, I didn't mean like he can't run like he's a stature. I just meant like when you compare his like scramble rate to some of the other quarterbacks. Because I love scrambles. Scrambles – I like, I like scrambles more than design runs because scrambles are like pass attempt yardage a lot of the time. Like you get like six, seven, eight yards on those things. So I like guys that like they'll drop back to pass and still um, scramble. And Wilson has it, isn't doing as much of that as like fields, for example. But yeah, I, he can, he can move and he's got a cannon arm. Now you, we're not comparing him to Mahomes. All I'm saying is this guy can make all the throws and I mean, I think you, what we might see is how do you get more on the field to, to your point maybe you go a little more four wide and things like that. I mean, why not? I mean, you have four good receivers and you don't, you have a tight end that's been in uh, on a milk carton for the past, like two seasons. So, um, you know, I think we could see a lot of that, but, but Sean, like, I know I've been like beating Wilson in your head all, all summer. Uh, where are you on Wilson at this point? You don't need to beat him in my head. I already agree with you, man. Like definitely low end QB one upside, uh, yeah. you know, dual threat ability, willingness to be aggressive. Um, and he's entering a much better situation than Sam Darnold ever had. No Adam Gase. Um, OC Michael Fleur is going to run a Shanahan cell offense, which I love. 
Uh, I think Wilson can thrive in that and great pass catching talent around him. I'm very bullish on Elijah Moore. So I hope LaFleur figures out a way to get him on the field. I think they will. Um, but you know, when it comes to Wilson, like his ADP at QB 28, this is a smash spot for me because unlike Justin Fields and Trey Lance, like there's no doubt he's the week one starter. Mm-hmm. And Jeff mentioned he's going to play the entire season. He has no competition whatsoever. It's really hard to pass him up this late. Um, definitely like two QB leagues, take him late. He, he could be like on your bench, but he has that upside, you know, that's worth taking a, you're, it's not even taking a gamble. Like it's so late. There's nothing to lose. You might as well take him this late. Yeah. And you know, just to look at that, like early season, uh, slate, Week one, you can start him at Carolina against Sam Darnold. That's the comparison I hate. Like, that's the one I hate. It's like, oh, well, Sam Darnold wasn't that good. So Zach Wilson probably, you know, Jets. It's like, nah, man. Like, this, like if, if Zach Wilson fails, it will be for different reasons, I think, than Sam Darnold, who I just think wasn't a very good quarterback. Um, but you have week one at Carolina. Uh, and then weeks two and three, I, I stash him because he's playing New England and at Denver. I don't want my quarterback playing the – Patriots defense this year. Uh, I, I'm saying that now. And I don't want my quarterback playing early season in mile high either as a rookie. So those two, I'm probably stashing them. If you can get away with dropping them and you think he'll be there, maybe. But week four, Tennessee, week five at Atlanta, you draft Zach Wilson, you can get three QB1 performances in the first five weeks, maybe three even high end if the Jets are really, you know, go down big and, you know, Tennessee, Atlanta. Um, those two teams can score, and Carolina is, you know, their defense was soft last year. So um, I, I like Wilson a lot. Uh, let's uh, one the, the other major um, kind of question mark I think heading into the season for for some people more than others is w- Jeff. Like, what, what's going on with the Saints? Like, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, both of these guys have been high end QB ones at, at, when they played. Um, where how are you projecting how their kind of the starts kind of uh, shake out for those two guys? I think that Jameis Winston is ultimately going to be the quarterback. And and I point to a couple. You got to read through the, the lines, read the tea leaves a little bit. But Mickey Loomis appeared on the Adam Shine podcast uh, and had a really interesting quote. He said, I, I think Taysom Hill is a very good football player. He said, heck, he could even be a top flight tight end, a top flight H back if he wanted to be. He very carefully said football player, not quarterback. And and I think that's really telling. Now, obviously, they're going to compete. Drew Brees has come out and said that he thinks we're still going to see plenty of Taysom Hill. But I do think it's Jameis's job. Like Jameis could have potentially went other other or you know, elsewhere that is in free agency, and he didn't. He stuck around. So to me, did Taysom Hill do enough to pass the audition last year? It ain't baseball. I don't care what the win-loss record is. It doesn't matter to me at quarterback. The performance is what matters. And when you went from Taysom Hill to Drew Brees, you had to dramatically alter your offense. And in a lot of ways, you cannibalized your top offensive weapon by having Taysom Hill on the field because Alvin Kamara, for stretches, was almost non-existent. So I don't see that happening. Now, obviously, Jameis has his own set of, of problems that come with him. But I, I do think ultimately it's going to be his job. Now, again, here we are in July talking about this. And what I've done, you know, I've, I've certainly loaded up on either one of these guys in best balls because if either one of them gets a job, they're going to dramatically outplay their, their ADP currently. 
I don't know if ADP rises that much by the time we get into the heart of fantasy draft season next month, because I, well, I don't know if we're going to actually fully know who the starter is going to be almost maybe until week one, it's going to be a really interesting setup. But if I had to choose one, it is Jameis. I think he's ultimately going to be the, he's the better quote unquote quarterback for the team. Taysom's the better weapon for the team. We'll still see him our fair share as well. John, what do you think on this one? Yeah, it's tough because th- this is, you know, not only is it tough to project the quarterbacks, but the entire offense mm-hmm. changes based on who's under center. So it makes the the Saints one of the biggest headaches to project right now. Um, and I agree with Jeff where I think Jameis will probably start the year as a quarterback, but he of all people can play his way out of this pretty quickly. <laughs> We've seen him be very turnover prone. So I prefer Tameis, uh <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Just there it both is. Of them, right? Tameis. <laughs> um, you could take both of them in best ball if you want, but I prefer Taysom Hill just because like he's there. If, if Jameis falters, Taysom Hill will come in and we saw he has, you know, QB one upside when he's um, playing because of his rushing ability. But even if Jameis starts all 16 games or 17 games, um, you know, Taysom Hill has a role. So there's going to be weeks where he scores a touchdown, catches a pass, runs the ball. So he'll ha- at least give you some scores. Um, whereas, you know, like if Taysom Hill takes over, he's the quarterback. Um, so that's very possible. I just think Taysom Hill offers the highest ceiling in this range um, and and a higher weekly floor. Yeah, I I actually land – I'm pro Taysom as well. I think Taysom makes more starts. Um, I actually lean toward Taysom starting week one as well. And here's why. Here's why. And I, I've kind of thought this through, and I, I could be very wrong, but I, I just try to – put my mind in like the franchise. So I like that point that you made Jeff uh, about Mickey Loomis. What I will say to that is that first of all, um, I know that that, that positional thing comes into play with contracts, you know? Right. So like if he calls him a flat out quarterback and, and they want to keep him sometime down the line, they're going to have to pay him as a quarterback. That could be the reason why he was very careful around that. But ultimately the guy making the decisions is going to be Sean Payton. Sean Payton showed me last year that who he where he wants to go he showed it for a, a while now he's it's always uh, Taysom's always been kind of his man crush but remember Taysom's involved in the game plan so when he's not starting a quarterback he's involved in the special teams game plan he's involved in the offensive game plan he was one of their better receivers for the last couple of years to be honest so yeah the first time Breeze gets hurt Jameis is the guy that's going to come in because Taysom has a role in the rest of the game plan. But the minute they had a chance to shift that, you didn't see Jameis again. You saw Jameis again, like a glorified, like Jacoby Brissett. Like he threw like a pass in the postseason or something. Like you really didn't see him again. Um, I think that in his heart of hearts, regardless of what anything, like regardless of what they're saying, like I think Sean Payton wants to start Taysom. And so I think even if Jameis does get denied, I think he's going to have a really short leash as he's always had, because that's the one thing it's like Taysom wasn't Taysom was still making better decisions than Jameis. And I, I, I'm not really buying into the Camara, him killing Camara's value because for one Taysom was very successful with Michael Thomas. So it's like, Oh, are we now going to say that like Drew Brees couldn't play with Michael Thomas anymore? Because like, you know what I mean? I think it was just a very small sample. And like, if you have a whole year of off season and, 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 and every week to game plan, you're going to get the ball to Kamara and Thomas. It was just, you had that one game with Denver where they barely threw. And then another game where Thomas had like all the targets. Like, I just think that was a small sample. So I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that like, 
I don't think Sean Payton can help himself. I guess is what I'm saying. I just think that it's going to be, uh, we're going to see more Taysom. But like, I don't know. Am I crazy for just like kind of writing that off as a small sample with the Kamara thing? Like, I get it. Taysom's not going to, they're not going to have as many attempts as they would under Jameis. But like, you can game plan to get the ball to Kamara, right? I, I mean, it there, yes. Can you execute it? Is oh. it, I mean, James, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Jameis can't execute that either. You know, yeah, if yeah, you've ever watched Jameis, what does he do? He only looks straight downfield. He looks 15 plus yards downfield, uh, and whoever's there, if they're triple covered, even he's going to su- throw him the freaking football. That's what Jameis does. So I don't know if he has the capability to check down and and deliver the ball a lot of those breeze targets as well. Definitely a transitional phase. I will say, though, now anybody, people are like all listening to this, being nervous about Kamara. He also has the Al Bundy-like ability to score six touchdowns in a single football game. So we we have to note that. That's, yeah, that's this is why I like I, I try to keep the Camara argument out of like the Jameis versus Taysom thing. Like I get it. it it's a good it's a great thing. To, it's a great observation. I just don't think it, it's like um, it carries over, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yep. But um, all right, let's let's wrap it up with um, any, is there anyone else we care about? You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, Cam Newton, uh, Matt Jones, you know, Darnold, obviously. Like anyone else we care about, or is did we kind of hit on all the guys that, that people should be worried about? Yeah, I mean, for me, Fitzpatrick, first and foremost, I, I talk about a long leash. He doesn't, he has Taylor Heineke as his backup. This is not a situation where Washington drafted a quarterback. I think they're trying to make a legit playoff push. They have the defense to do so. They made some key additions on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, keeping Brandon Scherf in house helped the cause as well. He's got great weapons, and now it's not a situation where Terry McLaurin put up really big numbers last year, not touchdown numbers, but really big catch numbers, yardage numbers, with nobody throwing him the football. Now he has a guy with some moxie who's going to push the ball downfield. You bring in Curtis Samuel, hopefully. Ron Rivera, you watching and listening, I know you are. No, he's not. But just don't use Curtis Samuel the way that he was used in 2019. It did not work. An ADOT of 14 plus yards doesn't work for Curtis Samuel. Take a page out of Joe Brady's book and give him a nice like seven and a half yard ADOT. Get him in space. Let him do the things he did at Ohio State. Logan Thomas, let him just be a tight end now. He's not a converted quarterback anymore. You have some really good role players, plus Diami Brown there. Adam Humphreys, if he can stay healthy, obviously the concussion issue, a little bit concerning. But, hey, if he's there on the field, we know he can still be productive even at his age. The backfield, McKissick, and, of course, Antonio Gibson. It's really set up quite well for Fitzy. And he can run the football a little bit. And I'm still willing. I'm willing to give Daniel Jones the benefit of the doubt one more year. If he doesn't do it this year, he's dead to me. It's never going to happen. But you got Kenny Galladay in, Kadarius Tony when he eventually gets on the field, because it doesn't look like he'll be a starter from the gate, but you got to get him on the field at some point. Weapons, weapons, weapons. And if Saquon can stay healthy, that opens things up even more. Daniel Jones has the wheels. We know he's a good running quarterback. So I'm willing, if it's like a last round, I'll pay that. I have no issue spending basically nothing. Because the best part, too, is if he doesn't hit, you just cut them. Like there's not, not much value cost there to your team if you just cut them. So those are the two guys who I would say late round guys in one quarterback leagues that we didn't discuss. Yeah. And listeners of this show probably are having deja vu. Cause Jeff, I said the same thing to Sean about, uh, 
about about Curtis Samuel, about my concern. I'm like, oh man, they brought in Adam Humphreys. That means they're going to try to play Samuel like they did in 2019 and it's not going to go well. Um, that's really my only concern. I, I do like Fitz beyond that. Um, Jones, I would just caution people because, because even, you know, I was high on Jones last year, but it was like a similar situation. Uh, the, the, the first couple of weeks are tough. And, um, in this year, it's kind of the same thing, Denver and at Washington, you're probably not going to use him to week three against Atlanta. So keep that in mind. Um, if you're thinking of investing in Jones, but, but Sean, anyone else for you, um, that we haven't really kind of gone over, um, that you may be targeting. No, you guys stole my thunder. My, my guy is Daniel Jones at QB 26 specifically for best ball. Um, you know, he has that sneaky rushing upside where I think it was week 12 last year. He started to have the hammy issues, the ankle injury. So, um, he, he comes with that upside you want in best ball where you get those spike weeks and then you don't have to worry about the duds, which there will certainly be duds, but you know, that late, how, how can you pass them up there? Yeah, uh, totally agree. Um, like Daniel, think he's got a lot around him. Worried about the first couple of weeks in a redraft, but um, season long still has some upside. Just, just, just stay upright, Daniel. Don't trip over your own feet when you have wide open touchdowns. Because, bro, I mean, bro, I, we're gonna close the show now. Um, so I'm just gonna ask uh, both of you guys a question. It's really a two part question. Part one: You are your favorite late round quarterback targets. So that's you know. Quarterback about 13 to 24 in ADP, 13 to 22, whatever you want to want to want to do. And, and then part two is just your your two QB week best ball deep sweepers, like 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 those guys that are really going late, you know, outside the top 20. Um, definitely most of them outside the top 24. So you're so your late round quarterback guys and then your deep sweepers. Uh Jeff, I'll start with you. I think the, the top guy I'm targeting is a guy we talked about and sort of glowingly earlier, rookie quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Trey Lance. If I'm going after him, though, and there is uncertainty uh, in terms of when he's going to start, then I do have to grab one of these, whether it's Baker Mayfield, whether it's Kirk Cousins, or whether it's Matt Ryan. One of those safer guys. I don't want to take another volatile guy because you could set yourself up for a rough start to the season. And remember, you know, we often think of fantasy football as, well, usually a 16-week thing, now a 17-week thing, but it isn't. It's it, last year a 13-week thing and now a 14-week thing, and we're lucky enough to maybe get into the playoffs so if you go like 0-4 in your first month, you're putting yourself in a hole. I'm not saying you can't dig out of it, but you really put yourself in a big hole. So you have to at least cover that those bases. In terms of the deep names, I mean, some of the guys that we did talk about, obviously we talked about uh, Zach Wilson, one of the New Orleans guys. And I want to throw another name out there who you probably could get for absolute free, who looks like he could be a starting quarterback for a good chunk of the season, Terod Taylor. If you're in a two-quarterback league, I do not think Deshaun Watson is going to be under center at all for the Houston Texans regardless. The one drawback to Terod Taylor from a game standpoint is the team looks like they are going to be pretty rough this year, right? They really don't have much that stands out really almost at any level. Their backfield combined, like people are like, you know, okay, well, David Johnson's older and and, uh, Mark Ingram's old. But Philip Lindsay, no, Philip Lindsay's 27. Like he's already old too for, for running back. They are really old at that position. So they could ultimately go to Davis Mills at some point. So that's the one drawback there. But Terod Taylor, with his ability to run, he's a quarterback too. You know, as a starter, he's a quarterback too. 
top 24 guy, just we don't know exactly if he's going to start as, as of now, but I do think he will, and then for how long. But you get him for absolutely nothing. So if you're really stuck in a two-quarterback league, you didn't get that second quarterback, I would, or third quarterback, that is, I would definitely look up to Rod Taylor. Sean, what about you? So my favorite late-round QB targets um, in one QB leagues are the two rookies, uh, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I think those guys, you really want to stash – you know, QB one upside guys, those are the guys. Um, and you know, you, you're going to be streaming QB to start the year. That's totally fine. Uh, the easy, and they might not start for a few weeks, but that's the easiest time of the year to kind of like stash guys on your bench. Cause you know, we don't have bye weeks injuries really haven't hit by then. So it's very easy to stash guys like that. And then you have a potential QB one the rest of the season once they do start. Um, and for two QB leagues or best ball formats, I really love the other rookie, Zach Wilson, who goes way too late. You know he's going to start week one. He's probably going to start all 17 games. He has that low-end QB1 upside, so I love getting him late. And for best ball leagues, Taysom Hill as your third quarterback. Um, typically, I only draft two quarterbacks, but I love to sneak him in as my third QB. He, he offers you know QB1 upside when he does start, and I think he will make some starts this year. So I love getting me some Taysom Hill late, late in drafts. Yeah, and this is obviously the hardest part of going last because you guys essentially stole all my guys. But I'll just say it this way. For late-round quarterbacks, anyone who can run. So that's Lance, that's Fields, um, that's – and then uh, the one guy I'll throw in there because, again, I think when I, I do look at schedule a little bit. I, I like Kirk the way Kirk Cousins starts the year with Minnesota, uh, at Cincinnati, at Arizona, Seattle, Cleveland, Detroit, at Carolina, by Dallas. Like, that's like seven – six or seven startable QB one weeks um, to, to, to start off the year. So I really like him as a late round target um, as well as a, a year opening streamer target. Um, and then for, for deep sleepers, I love Zach Wilson. I would almost put him in the, 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 the late round category because he's going to start every game. So I think you could draft him in a redraft. I think he has a good week one uh, as well. And then um, I, I'm Taysom over, over, over Jameis. And one other name I'll throw out there, the ugliest, most unsexy pick of all time. But if you're drafting a guy that you don't know will make all the starts in a best ball, and so you want to draft a third guy who will make all the starts for a really bad team that'll be throwing the ball because they have to, Jared Goff is still there. He's still there. He's free. So, you know, you, 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 you'll, get, you'll get some value there. Um, it's disgusting, but I'll just put that out there. But this has been... Uh, the Action Network Fantasy Flex Podcast. Jeff Radcliffe, what a great guest. Jeff, thanks for doing this. Tell the people um, what you're up to and where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, subscribe to my podcast as well. It's called The Rant with Jeff Radcliffe. And then on SiriusXM, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon Eastern, the very originally named Jeff Radcliffe show. Uh, and then coming up this year, once the season kicks off, you can check me out on CBS Sports Network. Eight to noon, uh, that other pregame show, abbreviated as Tops. We are an NFL pregame show, but we actually have fantasy content on it as well. So it's uh, really, you just put it on, get your morning started, roll into the, the day of football. It's a great watch. And then, of course, all the FTN network sites, FTNFantasy.com, FTNDaily.com, FTNBets.com. You get my content all across those sites, at Jeff Rackliffe on Twitter as well. There you have it, man. Go check out Jeff. Um, one of the most knowledgeable guys, as you guys could tell, um, in this whole industry, really crushes it, whatever he's doing. Um, you can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. You can find me at Chris Raybon. You can also find us by those same handles in the Action Network app. Go download that. 
Uh, and go check out all our content at actionnetwork.com. This has been the Action Network Fantasy Flex. Let's get this money.